Welcome to Operation Flourish, a podcast designed to help you flourish in all aspects of life. Whether you're a Miss America contestant, an athlete, or someone with a growth mindset striving to unlock your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Kayla Myers, Miss Northeast. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Operation Flourish podcast. I have a special guest to introduce to you today. This special guest is also a fellow podcaster, a talented classical singer, a dog mom, a board-certified music therapist, and the reigning Miss Collegiate Indie 2023. Now, enough anticipation. Our special guest is the one and only Alyssa Dorado, if you couldn't tell by the board-certified music therapist. Now, this is an inside joke for all my Miss Indiana girlies, um, but if you're not a Miss Indiana or Miss America girlie, you are going to love Alyssa. I am so excited for you to get to know her and her passion for music therapy and inclusivity for all abilities. So with that, welcome, Alyssa. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm really excited to be able to speak with you. I am so excited too. I've been seeing everything you've done with your podcast and I've been dying to have you on here and thank you for jumping at this opportunity. I love to start these episodes with special guests with a question of the day, something that's fun, usually nothing about our topic. So for today's, our question is, if you could meet up with any celebrity for coffee, who would you choose and why? I actually got a very similar question in my most recent interview I did in MAO, and I said Audrey McDonald. It doesn't matter what that woman is doing. She opens her mouth and my jaw just drops. I'll never forget like listening to her the first time that she accepted an award and I was watching it happen live. And I was like, I don't even understand half the words coming out of your mouth and I don't care because the way that she made me feel and just the idea that I can sit in a room and just have a conversation, not just listen to whatever wisdom comes out, would just be so exciting for me. Plus, I love her voice. Her voice. I love that. So for those of us who are uncultured and live under a rock in grad school, who is Audrey McDonald? <laughs> she is a professional singer, actress, has done a lot of Broadway movies, um, the whole nine yards. She's been, she's done so much in um, I'm trying to think probably what the most common people would know for know her for. Probably Annie would be the one that most people might recognize her for. She was in The Sound of Music, the most recent live NBC. I don't remember which station did it, um, but been on Broadway, won many a Tony Award, um, and then just like gave her speech to her 12-year-old when she like accepted her 12th, I think it was like her, no, her sixth Tony or something like that. I was like, okay. And it's just so epic while she does it. So you're going to make me fall in love with this person. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know her, but I love it. (laughs) Well, I love getting to know those little elements and clearly learning things that uncultured Kayla doesn't always know um, from this. And maybe I'll inspire people to look up a new person that you suggest. My celebrity coffee person is also probably an unknown to many. His name's David Goggins. Um, If you search the world's toughest man alive, though, I promise you this man will come up. He runs 100-mile races. He's crazy. Um, That's why I love him. (laughs) You know what? And that's somebody I would not have known. And now I will be searching. (laughs) 
I love it. I love it. This is why we connect through the podcast. Um, So that's our fun and funky question for the day. We have a lot of other fun questions coming up, but I do want to get a bit more serious with some of these questions in a fun way. Um, You talk about music therapy, and I think when people hear music therapy, a lot of people truly don't understand what music therapy encapsulates, what it truly is. So if you were to best describe music therapy to my listeners, what would you tell them? So there's the official definition and the reason that the inside joke with the Miss Indiana girls is how often I say board certified. Um, But that's honestly because of how much, how it's not an easy task to say you're certified. This exam has a 55% pass rate right now, which for those who go into nursing or go into any profession that you have to take an exam, that most exams have a much higher percentage of pass rate than that. Um, But music therapy in a nutshell, is the clinical and evidence use of music to help somebody on their non-musical goals within a therapeutic relationship. And so um, I personally, majority of my work is working with people with developmental and intellectual disabilities. And so my day-to-day is using music to work on independence, communication, um, emotional processing, and emotional regulation. Um, And so using the components of music, because there's so many aspects of music, um, that when you put them together, how can I use that within a clinical setting in a safe way to help somebody meet those goals? Um, but music therapy is something that happens across the lifespan. There is music therapist assisted childbirth. NICU music therapy is a huge aspect that I would never do well in just for how loud (laughs) I am. Um, all the way we have in prisons, acute mental uh, acute psych, being in hospitals. My own mother has received music therapy after a surgery before, um, all the way through hospice and bereavement. So then even after you pass, how your family and your loved ones are um, processing the what's going, ha- what's happening after you pass. And so using music in a way clinically that is safe, I think that's the other biggest thing I need to really send home is that music can be unsafe. If people do not understand how they're using music, it can be unsafe in many different ways. I have personally observed a session that I can promise you if the person was not certified walking in there, I walked in there as an intern and I did not know what to do. Um, Co-sleeping situation, child unfortunately passed and was brought back. Teen mother starting to separate herself from her child um, and how to handle that, not only to make it so that the mom could try to come back, Um, and try to stand next to the bedside, even though she's feeling guilty about what just happened, while making sure we don't harm the baby. And so music therapy is really making it so that people can live their most independent and fulfilling lives while using music, this fun medium um, that has so many different aspects to it, to our advantage. I love that. And I've talked to you about music therapy, and I still feel like I learned more from like even the NICU setting, things that I had no idea about. And I think it's so beautiful how many possibilities there are. But also, I love that you stress the importance of the board certified. I know we joke about it all the time, but it's so important. It's the starting of everything I say. It always goes with as a board certified music therapist to the point where I will jokingly make it more annoying backstage. Since before I moved to Indiana, um, we have been fighting for state recognition to make it so that we can make sure that both therapists, but more importantly, the people we support are receiving high quality care and safe care and that hasn't passed yet 
Um, I've joked before that if you all called your senators, I'd stop saying board certified. Um, we have yet to pass it, but we're we're looking forward for it. You hear that, listeners? Call <laughs> your senators. You heard it here first. Um, you'll make Alyssa very happy and all the people that she serves and that we serve in Indiana. So honestly, I know we're joking about it, but that's such a real thing that we can do through policy. So something to take serious. And now that the listeners understand a little bit more about what music therapy is, they may be understanding what leads one to choose that as a career. So I'm curious, what are some of the important pieces of your story that led you to choosing a career in music therapy? So I didn't start talking until I was three, which is super funny now. But when you say somebody literally started singing when they could start talking, I didn't talk till I was three. And I could tell you at five years old, my best friend and I wanted a long pink limousine um, with our names on the side of it. We were going to be like the new Allie and AJ type of thing. And um, again, showing my age. But music has always been something I loved, but I wasn't born naturally good at it. I wasn't born with this beautiful natural voice that put me in the center of things, but it was something I was passionate about and that I loved and motivated me to be better. Even through literally... And people, I've said this people and people don't believe it. Now having seen that I have a bachelor's of music and I, my passion and my love for classical singing, I got bullied for my singing voice, but yet I was still motivated through that. Um, and from a young age, I've always wanted to, I always knew I wanted to work with people in some way. So from a very young age, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I knew I wanted to work with people, work with kids. And then got to high school and I was like, I want to do choral education. And my dad went, you want to go into choral education? I love you, but I'm very scared for you. And so he spent my sophomore year of high school going teacher to teacher and saying, if you were to go into education again, what would you do? And everyone, except for my choir teacher, because he knew exactly what my dad was doing. Um, thank you, Mr. Fantosi. Um, said either be fluent in a foreign language, which I was never good at learning English, might as well a foreign language. Um, or go have a dual in special education. And my dad was just mentioning this to one of his work clients one day and was like trying to build some type of relationship. I don't know how this came up, but it did. And he goes, oh yeah, my daughter is actively studying music therapy at Western Illinois right now. And my dad, I'll never forget, I was in my parents' bedroom talking to my mom, don't exactly know why. My dad walks in and goes, Alyssa, go Google this thing. I think you might like this. And literally went to the AMTA website and I was hooked and I was done. That was my motivation. I wanted to go into music. I wanted to be a music therapist. Um, and I always knew that special education or disabilities was going to be the route I wanted to go most likely. Um, I didn't see myself working in the hospital setting. I didn't see myself working with older adults on the day to day. But I loved being able to interact with people, build those long term relationships, I think was my biggest thing was knowing that I was going to see somebody every single week. Um, to the point where I literally carried the list of 70 universities in the country in my backpack at school every day, because that was my motivation. Um, and from there, I, I've been hooked and, um, I think I've grown as a person and knowing that I've been able to help people through their own struggles using music, whether it was directly using music as like a tool or just having music in their life that they can turn to has been amazing. I love that. And for people listening who are like, music is not my thing, but 
are interested in your story, I think there's so many takeaways for everyone, no matter what field of life they're in of you didn't grow up being someone naturally talented or gifted in music. You were someone who was quite the opposite. You experienced bullying. And thank you for sharing that hard experience that so many people often relate to not being naturally good at something, not necessarily knowing what their natural career progression might be, but knowing that they have a passion. And if you can listen to that passion, I'm a strong believer that hard work beats talent. You don't need the natural talent. I think our society overrates talent as someone in sports psychology. Um, There's a lot of research showing people think talent is what gets people places. And it's the hard work. And I see that passion and hard work in you. And I want to instill that in all the listeners. That's how you flourish as a person. So thank you for sharing that. And I can hear in this story as well, the love for music therapy that you developed and the love for individuals with disabilities. It's so interwoven. And you talk about the ways that you can empower them and help them. So I'm curious, I'm sure you have loads of stories because I know you are a storyteller. Is there a story you would really like to share with our listeners of someone you worked with and helped them flourish through music therapy or through your advocacy? Obviously, confidentiality, we are keeping it in mind, listeners. But is there a story (laughs) you have for us, Alyssa? There's one story. It always stands out to me. And that's just because this person's life story, I will never fully understand. She will never fully most likely never fully be able to tell us her full life story. We've been given bits and pieces, but um, we know basically for a fact that there is some trauma somewhere in her life story, bits and pieces. We have no educational background and she's in her mid thirties. When I started working with her, I was warned her support plan did not match where she was currently at. And her support plan, although written in the most positive way possible, sounds scary. Um, I've been told stories about things that she has done when she gets angry. And about the nine months before I started working with her, she really was making a big turn. And I got hired in February of 2020. And so my story goes from seeing people in person for at most five or six sessions, I believe she was probably closer to three or four, to being virtual. And she's learned very quickly that her support team, right, the people that provide her therapies who um, are on her waiver service plan in the state of Indiana, that they, she could trust them, Um, that they are somebody that she can turn to and trust, even if she doesn't fully know them yet. When a therapist leaves, she wants the next therapist's name to know that she didn't do anything. And I emailed her team with a Zoom link and she, I didn't know how she was going to handle Zoom, but if anything, I just needed to at least keep that relationship going with her, continue building that relationship, um, give her something to look forward to in the week while she's stuck at home with, while we're all at home with COVID, right? And I email and I'm just like, I just want to check in what's going on in the house. And she, as I am literally opening up the link, I get an email back. She's feeling fine, all's good, but she thinks she's being punished by all of us and that she did something wrong. And now I am about to enter this session with about like a minute to spare going, I don't fully know how to fix this. Can I fix this? How do I tell her she's not being punished without scaring her that there's this illness that could take her life, right? But also she should be aware. She has the right to know what's going on in the world, but also being aware of where she cognitively was at in that moment. 
And so she comes into the session and I'm just trying, I'm trying to get her to tell me. Right. And I get her, I get her to that point without throwing her over the edge. And I'm like, let's make a song. Right. I am not in trouble. And I make her say like, I am not in trouble. You are not in trouble. And I go through her entire team. Right. Her quarterly meetings are her favorite day of the year because it's basically Thanksgiving for her. All her favorite people are together. And I'm waiting for this to be something I have to remind her of every single week. And I noticed probably about five minutes in, she is starting to repeat everything I say. And she's adding names to it. (laughs) And she's making it longer. And when she's starting to get frustrated, she goes back to, I am not in trouble. And I noticed naturally there was a rhythm to it because I planned on turning this thing into a song, right? And I'm ready for the next week to come into the session. We're having to pull this long mantra rhythm back up, right? And about a minute into the session, she's starting to get frustrated. And all I hear is, I am not in trouble. Alyssa's not in trouble. And she's just doing it. And I'm like, first off, I love that you were able to regulate yourself and bring yourself back to that, right? That you were able to do it, that I did not have to remind you. Two, rhythm was more than enough music for that. I didn't need to add this crazy melody line, which as a music therapist, I love to throw in, right? I love to make it even more musical. Let's add all the instruments in the world, but she didn't need it. Because then at home, when she was feeling frustrated with her other therapy, she was able to bring it up. She was able to say it. And that then meant in the next week or two, right? She's understanding we're all staying home to be safe. Now, how can we be safe? We were able to build the COVID skills. She's somebody, personal space is not her strongest suit. Um, wants to hug everybody, wants to see everyone. And I'm sure it was even worse, right? When you can't see anybody. Um, and then she was able to learn to wash her hands. And all of a sudden now I'm hearing she's showering by herself and she's doing all these things by herself because she had the confidence to do it based off these little things. And so first off, just the therapeutic relationship I built with her in a month and month, two months, Then being able to use this very small aspect of music that I thought was going to need more music that didn't need it. I then got to take her out into the community two years later. And I got to see what the real frustrated meant for her. Not frustrated like Alyssa messed up a chord. (laughs) Um, And the way she handled it. She was thought she got water, but it was sparkling water because the machine wasn't working at the Indians game. Um, and seeing how she was able to handle that because of the work that she had been doing in music therapy, because of the fact that we've made her acknowledge that feeling mad is okay. That's a normal feeling. Um, all because all of that really stemming down to, I can acknowledge that I was angry and I can acknowledge what was happening around me during this really low point for all of us. I love that story. And I've heard small bits of that, but to hear the full story at length is so powerful. And for everyone listening who wasn't really sure how music therapy actually panned out in the real world and an actual story in a situation with real people, it's so powerful how having a rhythm, even if it's not the full musical show performance that you would love to have this client go through, It's something that's so powerful and that's something that through music therapy can happen through lots of other skills that listeners to this podcast can develop about how to regulate emotions. And that's such a powerful skill that you use your specific skill set and expertise to teach people. And that's every area of life, which is the beauty of getting to take her out two years later and see this actually pan out, which is so incredible. So thank you for sharing that powerful story. 
I was saying, I think that can connect into like the song that I've tried to use the most with this specific person, right? She, when you ask her if she's having a good day, you ask her, when's the time you've been mad? I don't get mad. I don't get mad. I'm not mad. Don't. And it's, there's a part of that being the understanding of, I'm not accusing you of being mad. I'm asking you of a pastime or something that could make you mad. And just that understanding of that. Um, but then too, she's been taught that when she's mad, she gets in trouble. Right. And being able to acknowledge that and just the end of our little song that we do. Sometimes I feel happy. Sometimes I feel sad. Sometimes I'm excited. Sometimes I'm mad. We might laugh today. We might cry today. We have so many different feelings, but they're all. And just being able to use that musical dissonance right there to make her say it is okay. One, she wants to finish the song. She wants to, she wants to go back to the home base of music, right? But to do that, she doesn't need to acknowledge. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be mad. It's how we handle that mad that we need to work on. Absolutely. I love the idea of being able to validate the importance of every single emotion. As someone in the counseling space who doesn't know all the musical side, I lack in that um, expertise and did not put hard work into that area. But I understand the importance of letting people know that all emotions are important. We do the feelings wheel. If anyone's never seen a feelings wheel, I highly recommend Google a feelings wheel. I use the gotten feeling wheel. And it's really incredible how you'll see there's the main six emotions we go to, but there's so many emotions under that. And they are all important emotions. And I love that music therapy is able to teach that and teach the regulation. That is so beautiful to hear how quickly people can connect and learn to regulate those skills using music therapy. So what an incredible story. But I did want to dive back even further to the start of that story when you mentioned this specific client had trauma. And I was really surprised looking at some of your social media, which all of Alyssa's socials are going to be linked to her link tree in the show notes. So please check them out because she has amazing content. Yeah. But I was shocked to see the post about abuse, neglect, exploitation and mistreatment. Now, I had heard previously that it is higher among individuals with disabilities, but I didn't know just how much higher. And I was alarmed on your post reading it saying that, you know, these things can happen to anyone, but for people with disabilities, it's four to 10 times more likely. That is such a scary and alarming statistic um, and three times more likely to experience sexual assault. Wow. Um, that's huge. So I'm curious as someone in music therapy, someone who's working with people with disabilities quite frequently, why do you think that this is the case that they're so much more likely to have these experiences statistically? I think there's several different aspects. I think the first one we need to acknowledge is societally. We can say we are accepting and inclusive, that we have ADA rules and we have all these things, but that has really become the bare minimum of learning how to treat it. The fact that we were not required to offer people with disabilities an, a free and equitable education until the 70s, I think just shows how much room and growth that we can make as a society. Um, but because our society has not been built for people with disabilities, first acknowledging that the caregivers, even if they are meaning well, they are much faster to burn out. They are much faster to... Um, not have the resources necessary for them, right? And so then that can really lead to, especially the neglect aspect and the mistreatment aspect, 
right? If somebody doesn't have the resources necessary to be able to provide what they need, um, that's one major aspect. But then also when we look to the burnout, right? When people burn out, that can lead to many emotions involving situations and um, and so leading to an increase of abuse and leading to an increase of mistreatment and then especially exploitation and understanding the financial aspect um, that the fact that people with disabilities are not expected to be paid a minimum wage. Um, and right now they, in order to receive SSI, you are expected to live or have no more than $2,000 in your bank account. Um, but we want them to be independent. They want them to be able, if they're able to live in their own apartment to do that. Right. Um, but with abuse, neglect, exploitation, and mistreatment, there's definitely the aspect of just society, not giving the resources necessary to the people we support as well as caregivers, but also, if we're going to look that people with disabilities are an extremely marginalized group um, and acknowledging that many of them, if I would say majority, um, are also a part of another marginalized group. Um, people with disabilities, it's a lot easier to use their disability to their advantage. Um, I have a mother who has a disability and have in front of me seen abuse and exploitation happen to her. And she was not even aware it was happening in the moment. Um, as well as my father, who was on a ventilator with COVID and exp uh, experienced neglect after coming off the ventilator. Um, the exploitation and abuse that my mother experienced absolutely was them using the fact that they saw she had a disability to try to either get money or resources or something out of her um, because they knew that she was an easier target, right? Um, I She, my mother... <laughs> one of the strongest women, most feisty women you'll ever meet in your life. Um, but because she was actively using a motorized scooter, they knew they could stand in front of her and she couldn't get around them. Right. Um, my father having COVID different story of neglect of they didn't first off, he had COVID in March of 2020. Nobody knew what was happening, but he ended up getting bed sores because of it. Um, because he wasn't getting the resources necessary because Everyone was afraid that they would get COVID from him, which was, I get, right? But at the same time, he should not be getting more harm in the process. Um, it's a lot easier to just say, well, they don't have to get out of bed because, well, they don't walk. So they're just going to go from laying in a bed to sitting in a chair. But it doesn't mean they don't have the right to experience their living room or to not eat breakfast in their bed if they don't want to. Also, many people in that position probably have a choking, <laughs> are at higher risk of choking, and now they're eating in bed. Um, and so it's just a lot easier to overlook and to not think about why we do things versus, well, what is easier for the people around them? Um, it's something that unfortunately I've had to report for so many different reasons. Some of them being absolutely things that were out of the caregiver's control in the moment of they just didn't have the resources necessary um, to some that it was absolutely intentional, unfortunately, um, and not being afraid to say it, I think is the biggest thing of not being afraid to stand up and say and take the action to make sure this person is in a safe situation. It hurts my heart to hear all of those stories, but 
I appreciate you being someone who is such a wealth of knowledge, who brings light to that and is an advocate for people who are marginalized, for people who are overlooked or decisions are made for them or they're neglected or even, like you said, intentionally, there might be some abuse and uh, maltreatment to them. So you mentioned a little bit about reporting and there might be situations where our listeners feel they're might be a situation where they need to report something for a loved one or even for themselves. And I'm curious, what tips do you have about resources to make a report? Any tips for how do you actually go about doing that? Because it's scary. As someone in counseling, I remember the first report I had to make to Child Protective Services, and it is scary. Um, I was shaking in my first one. I had no idea what I was walking into. Absolutely. So how can you help prepare our listeners for what to expect, what to do, and how to manage that? So maybe they're a little less shaky. Um, first, it's understanding that there is a person on the other side of the phone that, yeah, unfortunately, they need to hear this every single day. This is a part of their job every single day. And yes, being a reporter, being a mandated reporter is a part of my everyday job, but it does not mean I have to hear it every single day. Let's really hope I hope I'm glad it has not been and let's hope it never is. Um, but when you're making that call, remembering you are talking to a person. And so it's somebody who you are not, I am sure you are not the first person that will be making the first call to them. Um, and that they understand that you are working through how to make this call. But most importantly, I think the biggest thing when being a, when reporting something is acknowledging the fact and not the opinion within it. Um, it's very hard. I've been, I've literally made a call and gotten very mad at a, a CPS worker because they weren't fully comprehending what was happening. And it was the third time I had called about this situation. Um, and it was one of those that just kept getting added on to the same report. And I was like, and this person wasn't going to add it. And I'm like, nope, nope. I have a number added on now. Um, but acknowledging the fact, right? So if a situation is, I don't want to use a real situation, but let's say there was a child who had three bruises that looked like they were the shape of fingerprints on their leg. And then you ask them questions and they say that a loved one squeezed their leg and caused the bruise. Um, that is what you say, right? I see this child from this situation. This is what I saw and the color of the bruise or the size of the bruise. Um, and after speaking with the child, this is what the child said. Going at it that way versus saying the father is, or I'm saying father, but father, child, parent, whatever the situation is, um, grabbed this person's leg and um, looking at it from a situation of accusatory right? Yes, you are calling to make an accusation against someone. You are. But if you give the details, it's going to be a lot easier for the person to continue this investigation than saying, we got a report that a parent is hurting their child. Um, being detailed in the report that you're making, I think is the biggest thing and making sure that you are using un as close as possible, unbiased information in your report, giving the facts and the details being as objective versus subjective as possible. Absolutely. I love that comparison because it's so easy in a situation like that to be subjective, to want your opinions and your beliefs to 
be voiced because it's someone you probably really deeply care about and you want to help them. But being as objective as possible is going to help get the solutions to clearly communicate. So thank you for some of those made up examples on the spot here today. Um, But I think it's helpful to have examples of what you should be looking for. For instance, the bruises, the coloring. Um, I know, for instance, they might ask, you know, if it might be a situation where a report of hitting someone was made. How was the hit? Was it open-fisted, closed-fisted? Asking those questions in advance to find out details if the person's willing to share. All great information. And you mentioned the number for that multiple case report. You can also ask for the case report number when you do make that report. If you're anyone in a helping profession like counseling, music therapy, um, you're going to need to ask for that number most likely. But it doesn't hurt in general to ask for that number to check back in with reports and so on. Maybe you need to add to that report at a later date. So it doesn't hurt to do that. And for anyone listening who's like, where do I even make this report? In the show notes, we will have the Indiana Child Protective Services Hotline and the Adult Protective Services Hotline. So adult would be 18 and up. Um, But if you're in a different state, be sure to search those numbers for your specific state. Normally, I would say most times if you Google just CPS, your state, something will come up um, and just make sure that the area code matches. But um. I will like one of the biggest things is people are acknowledging it's a lot easier and they are making sure that this is a number that is accessible to any person and not somebody who is a man, just somebody who is a mandated reporter. Um, Because as a mandated reporter, also acknowledging that people are aware that I am a mandated reporter. And so they might censor things around me. When I was in college, I would always tell I worked with first year students as an upperclassman, and I, before Halloween weekend, would always remind them all, I am, in fact, a mandated reporter just for their own safety, and I want them to feel comfortable coming to me, but I also think it's fair that they know what my obligation is, right, Um, versus somebody out in the community who just cares about this friend or this loved one or the child that they see on the playground every week when they take their child, um, knowing that you you can, and it is not out of your reach to be able to make that call as well. And it can be a tough decision to make that call, but I always say go with your gut feeling. It doesn't hurt to make that report, even if you're like, "Mm, it's just an inkling that I have. At the end of the day, I say, if you can protect a person, it's always better to err on the side of caution. So please know that those resources are there and they are accessible and they're not as scary as they seem. (laughs) No, everybody, everybody in the process is looking to make sure that everybody is safe. Right. And so unfortunately we're often talking about really tough subjects, but while talking about those tough subjects, we are all doing it with the intent to create safety for everybody around. I think that's so important to keep that in mind. And I know we're talking about that resource specifically with hotlines like this, but I'm curious, just in the topic and realm of music therapy, in the realm of individuals with disabilities, are there other resources um, specific to topics that we talked about today or organizations even that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah. So I think the first big one um, is just the National Council of Disability. Those are the people who are Um, making the laws, who are advocating for us. This is the national level when acknowledging disability. Um, And so this may not be somebody you're contacting, right, every single day, but knowing that that is a resource to at least understand what is coming or what topics are being had around disability. 
Um, and in the state of Indiana specifically, and the way that music therapy is as big as it is in Indiana, is the Division of Disability and Rehabilita uh, Rehabilitation Services. Um, it's a resource that that is how the Medicaid waiver is kind of is funded in the first place to make it so that people are able to receive the resources and the services within the state. But also that is where everything disability related is going to come out of in the state of Indiana, um, as well as the Indiana Disability Rights. Um, let me double check what their Instagram is. Yeah, Indiana Disability Rights on Instagram as well. Um, and then organization wise, there is county as well as state level of the ARC. Um, and I love everything the ARC does. Um, they fight for disability rights on a daily basis all across the state, both on county and statewide. Um, and they're often the people that are going to make sure that the information that is coming, whether it is legislative or making sure that there's a self-advocates group working within the state is going to come out of the arc and make sure that that's digestible information. Um, they are, they have done so much, not just to advocate for service providers. They have specifically advocated for music therapy and for making sure that our therapists are being paid their worth, because ultimately if our therapists are not getting paid their worth, they're not going to put their best quality work in, or not every therapist will put their best quality work in. Um, but then making sure that we're also advocating for people with disabilities in the process um, and make sure that all ends are receiving the support that they need. I love that. And it's the resources to the people with disabilities and the resource to the counselors as well. I think that's so important for those two populations. And I think doing that can also prevent some of that cycle of maybe like neglect or uh, mistreatment um, and just not giving the best services that we can. So I love that you were able to provide those resources. I'll be sure to drop those in the show notes as well so you have access to them. Um, and I know I could talk to you forever about these things, but I do want to end with one last area and that being language, because I think language and the way that we talk about things is really powerful and is really important. Um, and I know language is constantly changing. So people feel like, how can I keep up with it? So hopefully this episode can help show, you know, what is the most current language that we know is the most beneficial or the most appropriate to be using. So I'm curious, what are some of your top tips that you'd like to give listeners for language to use and maybe language to avoid when talking about disability? So I think I actually have a really interesting perspective on language as specifically working for opportunities for positive growth, the way we look at language. It's taking away any word that can create a hierarchy or be deemed as negative. And so, for example, when you say something, think about how that can come off in another perspective. Most communities, this is one thing that is actively changing in certain communities, and I can touch on which ones, but most communities within the disability umbrella, disability world, is going to prefer person-centered language. So person with down syndrome, person with spina bifida, person with Addison's disease, um, because ultimately their diagnosis is a part of who they are, right? It's just one aspect. But first off, they are a person, they are a daughter, they are a sister, they are a employee, they are whatever that is, that is going to be who they are first. And this disability is a secondary thing that impacts who they are as a person. The two communities that I think have a little bit more sway on this is the deaf community, because being deaf impacts everything they do in society. 
as well as the autism community is about 50-50 right now. Um, it's something where I've heard some say they absolutely prefer person first. They absolutely preferred identity first. And others saying, I want you to say what you think sounds most respectful. And so looking at it from that opportunity, like that perspective, um, but also acknowledging that there are people that being autistic is a major part of their identity. It is how their entire world lens is looked at. And so for them, yeah, being autistic is a major characteristic to them. I kind of also look at it from like, as I am Jewish, right? Am I an American Jew or am I a Jewish American? Some people have a really strong opinion. Some it's just more what flies off the tongue. Some they really don't care as long as you are acknowledging both identities and that one is not, not that one is not more important than the other, but looking at it from a, they are just both a part of who I am. Um, and so I think that's one big one. And then the second one with language is if the person did not have a disability, would you word what you are saying the way you are saying it? For example, can I, I've not said this word in so long, non-compliance. I don't want to get out of bed. Am I non-compliant? Am I just having non-compliance when at when I was in high school and my parents were like, Alyssa, get out of bed. And I'm like, no, is that non-compliance? Or is that just me not wanting to get out of bed? Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, the idea that, or somebody is quote, showing a behavior. First off, that does not tell you what this person is doing. All it is saying is it is doing something that you have, sh you have chosen is bad, even though a behavior can be good or bad, but in the world of disability and the word behavior, that normally leans bad instead of just explaining what the situation at hand is. Um, being able to just say, this person does not want to get out of bed or this person is yelling and screaming or this person is not willing to let go of this person's hand. Whatever that thing is, right? First off, just again, we can even look back to when you are explaining for abuse, neglect, exploitation, and maltreatment and mistreatment. What is the situation at hand? Because not wanting to let go of somebody's hand in one moment might not be, quote, appropriate, right? Might not be what we want to happen. But if they're out in the street and they don't understand being able to look left and right, that is the correct thing to be doing. And so calling it a behavior, I don't think is fair and only is going to make everybody more confused in the process. Versus just saying, does it want to let go of mom's hand to go into the therapy room? Um, and so I think a lot of it with language is just acknowledging they are people. And I hinder this so much. If you just acknowledge they are people and talk as if they are people and just acknowledge disability is a part of the conversation, it makes language a lot easier. Plus, when you are listening to the disability community and what they are saying, they will explain why. Even if they don't have the full word, that specific person may not have the words to say it. They'll be able to at least explain why something, they want something to be the way that it is. Because they're the ones living in this experience every single day. And I think for so long, we have spoken for people with disabilities because we assume, we assume they cannot speak for themselves. Or we speak to make the people around them's life easier, which has ended up hurting their life and only caused more problems for them when 
if we make it so that they're living their most authentic life and per- the most rewarding life they have, that will help everybody. If we put people at the center of the work that we do and the language that we use and the way that we interact with people in society. That is such a great guideline of just putting people at the center and making sure that it's not the convenience of the people around the person with a disability. And I think if we can stick with that guideline as well as just actively listening instead of making assumptions, I think that that is the best way to go about all of the rules when it comes to language to make everyone feel more comfortable in the situation. So thank you for sharing those guidelines. And if you're listening, maybe start to realize what are the terms in language that you use currently? And maybe how can you listen a bit more and become a little bit more aware because of this conversation with Alyssa and her wealth of knowledge that she has. So thank you for sharing all that knowledge. I wish we could dive into so much more, but I do want to be respectful on time. But with that, we didn't get to dive in every into everything about what Awareness Month October is. So I did want to highlight that I saw on your social. So please dive into Alyssa's socials to find out more. But it's National Down Syndrome Awareness Month. It's Spinobifalda Awareness Month. It's National ADHD Awareness Month. And these are things that we quite often don't think about unless we actually immerse ourselves in listening to the experiences and actually getting to intentionally look at the research, listen to experiences of individuals who may have these certain disabilities or raising awareness for these certain organizations associated with any of these disabilities. So Down Syndrome Awareness Month, one of my favorite organizations on the planet um, is Down Syndrome Indiana. And they have so many resources, whether that is um, community groups, um, when a somebody finds out that they their child that they are currently pregnant with is um, has been diagnosed with Down syndrome, having resources, things like that. Um, and then I'll be sharing specific resources for ADHD and spina bifida throughout the month. Um, and so I think just go to Instagram and go to my socials and I'll be sharing them through that. Um, but again, I think the biggest thing is just looking for self-advocates um, and using looking for it in that way, you will find better resources than I could share. Because what I do is I find all those And then I try to combine them all as much as I can. Um, But I think making sure we are empowering um, the disability community, the neurodivergent community, um, and supporting those in that community, I think is the biggest thing to do. Absolutely. I think that is such an important takeaway. So stepping out with that awareness and maybe that intentionality to start to explore um, these different topics that we talked about for October specifically, but not only just in this month. It's not important just this episode to be motivated to do these things, not just in the month of October to talk about these topics, but it's year round thinking about the people around you because it really comes down to people, as Alyssa said. So with that, I like to end with a final question that I'm going to start asking every special guest because it connects back to the purpose of this podcast. So I'm curious, what is the ultimate tip or practice that has helped you flourish that you'd like to leave our audience with today? We've touched on a little bit, but looking at people as people. And I say that, and that can sound like a really pageant answer. That can sound like a really simple, just look at people as people and that will save the world. That Yes, sure. That is a lot harder said than done. As a society, we have already made it so that we look at disabilities as different or other. The fact that special education, many people look at as a wing of the high school, when special education is a service that is provided to students, 
that may include a specific classroom, but that may not include a specific classroom. Um, and so when you really center people in the experiences that in disability conversation, um, when you ask why, I have one young woman, she wants to move out of her parents' house so bad. Part of it is because her dad annoys her. <laughs> she is in her 20s and her dad annoys her. I get it. But then she talks and she talks about the idea of losing all her services when her parents pass. She's going to lose the house. She's going to probably not be able to live in her current hometown, meaning she's going to lose all her therapists. So not only will she lose her parents, she will lose everything. Um, when you put people's voices at the center of the conversation and you actually ask and just get to build relationships, not speaking down to them, not assuming that they can't have a certain conversation. Sure, some people may show you that they might not fully understand what's saying, then you can adapt your language. But so often we see somebody in a wheelchair and we assume that they can't understand what we're saying when they might have a doctorate degree. And so looking at people as people and assuming competence and then building relationships and understanding them on a deeper level first is going to make it so that they have more of a community to turn to and talk to because society has made it so hard on them. But by doing that, you're also going to notice just how much our society has not been built for people with disabilities, neurodivergent, physical, um, mental illness. We can go down the entire line. And by understanding their lived experience, you will understand, although you will never understand personally, you will see just how so much more on how our society says we are inclusive, but then treats people with disabilities differently. And that we are, people will often make assumptions. People will raise their voice and make it higher pitch when talking to somebody, an adult with a disability. I really challenge everyone to just have a conversation. Doesn't even have to be about disability, but just get to know somebody and very quickly you will learn and see what is happening. Challenge accepted. I hope everyone listening accepts that challenge. I think that was such an incredible piece of advice that honestly served as a beautiful takeaway of this episode, the importance of people, of listening, of not making assumptions, and of really addressing the stereotypes and some of the messaging that's so prominent in our society today and challenging it. And thank you for being that advocate who is willing to take the first steps to challenge it and share the importance with others of challenging that status quo that we have right now and identifying when things don't line up, like we're inclusive, um, we're not always the most inclusive and we kind of other anything that's different. We're so, inclusive, but in order to enter the building, you have to go through the back door, right? Yep, right. There's the problem. Somebody with, but you need somebody who could do stairs to tell somebody to go meet you at the back door so you can take the elevator. There it's it is. Something that we see every single day. Absolutely. And I'm thinking to the listeners here, how often do you think about that as a listener not working with people with disabilities? How often do you realize that there might not actually be a ramp here? There might not be things that are accessible. I was actually talking to someone the other day and got incredibly frustrated because they were talking about they're figuring out at this university where the fund should go. And it could go to making this one building ADA compliant, or it could go towards all the stadiums and the other things. And take a guess where all the donors want the money to go. It's not the ADA compliance. Um, and that's where the challenges are. And a lot yeah. of us don't think about those things until it has impacted someone close to us. 
but hopefully episodes and conversations like this can make us as a society start to question those things and realize that there are a lot of inconsistencies and that all people are people and everyone deserves access to all of these things to create an equitable society. And know that that story you gave is not uncommon, that I'll never forget in college, I was working an event with high school seniors and somebody whose parent was a professor at this university was in a wheelchair and we had to take them up one of these steepest hills you could possibly walk, which would have been impossible if there wasn't somebody also helping behind, but he wanted to have the president spend a day in the wheelchair on our, on that campus because nobody understands the experience of being in a wheelchair and not having a bathroom that actually fits, not having doors that actually the button works or being on in an extremely hilly campus. And, oh, there really is no alternative option that is gonna let me take 15 minutes to get from class to class. Um, And so again, I think that just really goes to the challenge of people of realize what you are doing and then acknowledge if you couldn't walk or acknowledge what this one experience would be and how difficult doing it would be or how easy it would be, right? I would love for it to not be difficult for every situation, but unfortunately I have learned that oftentimes it is still going to be more difficult no matter how many, how much ADA compliance has been built. Thank you for sharing all those stories. And I definitely agree it is too common of an issue. But hopefully as we start to take that perspective and take a step back, we can slowly change that issue. It's going to be a slow fight. But I'm happy that we're ending on this area of reflection for everyone. And thank you, Alyssa, for sharing this wealth of knowledge that you have, this expertise and the passion that I'm sure every listener can so clearly hear. Thank you for your authenticity as well. And thank you to all the listeners who tuned into this episode and continue to take this knowledge and again, use this moving forward, not just this week when it's fresh in your mind, but continue to be aware and start implementing these things. And be sure to check back next Thursday for a different topic, but also something just as thought provoking to help you flourish. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Operation Flourish podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe leave a review, and share on your social media or with a friend. It goes a long way. See you next Thursday.